Well, how many of you here have made resolutions for the new year? Anybody? See a few hands. They say that about half of us do this, the other half don't. I suspect why some of the other half don't is because they haven't had much success uh, when they've tried it. And that seems to be the case according to some of the research that I looked at. Um, we're told that only between 8 and 9.2% of us feel like we're successful when we do make New Year's resolutions. Another statistic is even worse. It's 80% of us that make resolutions fail before February. One thing that is consistent is the areas of concern that are shown by the resolutions that we make. So I want to talk to you first about the first resolution area, and we'll have a slide here for that. It has to do with health. So in 2016, you may have made a resolution like, I am going to spend 30 minutes a day on the treadmill. When that didn't work, 2017 comes, and we decide to lower expectation and make that spend 15 minutes a day on the treadmill. As we face this year, we may pare it down even more and just sell the treadmill and buy SlimFast or some other kind of diet supplement. The next area of concern for resolutions is that of friendship. So in 2016, we may have you know, resolved that we were going to spend more time hanging out with our friends. When we didn't do that in 2017, we may have decided that we're going to call our friends more. And then this year, we may just decide to try to text them once in a while. Resolution number three has to do with having a more peaceful life. And that includes a lot of stuff, like financial stability, like uh, spending less and making more money, uh, those kinds of things. But it also has to do with being more peaceful in our relationships with those around us. So we may have in 2016, for instance, vowed to stop our road rage. When we weren't very good at that, we may have then in 2017 got creative and decided to reduce our road rage by fostering camaraderie amongst our fellow drivers so that an entire line of cars would team up and prevent a jerk from cutting in its front. In 2018, we may just simply decide to take the church sticker off the bumper of our car. Now, in the last, say, 15 years or so, uh, resolutions about technology have begun to show up. And so in 2016, some people may have resolved to actually learn how to use their smartphone and all the apps that are available. In 2017, they may drastically change, have changed, and say they need to learn how to use their smartphone less and get their life back. And then in 2018, some may just ask their best friend to immediately delete their browsing history if they die. Now, being Christians, we usually have a resolution surrounding spirituality of some kind. So some people may have in 2016 
uh, resolved that they were going to read the entire Bible during that year. When they failed at that in 2017, they pared that down to reading the New Testament during the year. And then as they approach 2018, um, they just want to find where they put their third grade Bible that they received at church. The final area is that of getting organized. I'm going to get organized this year. In 2016, we may have resolved to, to get the clutter out of our house, sort through all the junk in our house, and, and get rid of it, donate it. In 2017, when we didn't do very good at that, uh, and we find that we have more clutter than ever in our houses, we may decide to just focus on the garage. I'm going to clear out the garage. I'm going to take all the junk out of the garage. Now facing 2018, when we can barely get our car in the garage, we may have decided to sort the junk out of our lives, to take another approach to the new year. Instead of pursuing the things that we think will make us happy, what if we learn to take care of our souls in 2018? Learn that life is not about me and what I think I want and what I think I need, but to learn that life is about other people and what God intends for me. The scripture readings this morning describe that different approach. And they describe how we can overcome the barrier of self that stands in the way of what will truly fulfill us in life and in the year to come. I chose these three scriptures uh, because in a way they are the foundation, I think, of my spiritual practice. And truth be told, uh, Pastor Steve gave me a little nudge in this direction when he suggested that because uh, of my counseling background and the work I do in counseling that I might be able to talk to you a little bit about taking care of your soul in 2018. So as I thought about that, these three scriptures immediately came to mind. Uh, not only are they the foundation of my spiritual walk, but I think they also are a foundation of my counseling practice as well. Uh, I'm a therapist at the Sienna Francis House Homeless Shelter. Um, when I was in ministry uh, and pastoring before I retired, I decided to get a mental health degree because I thought that would make me better, better pastor to, to understand people's felt needs, maybe even a better preacher to be able to talk from the scripture about those same needs that people have. And so I draw your attention again to Philippians 2, 5 through 8, that says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. You see, when we are born, we're like this blank slate. We're, we're like a computer that has not yet been programmed, has no software. And when we're born, we, we're perfect in our capability 
to be what God intended us to be, to fulfill our purpose here in this life. But almost immediately, we start to become contaminated by false programming, by the things around us. Sometimes it might be our parents, but maybe not. It may be our peers. It may be our culture. The world has many, many messages about what will make us happy and what we should be. And we come to believe things about ourselves, about other people, and about the world that just aren't right, that aren't true. They're false beliefs. What I found in my practice at Siena Francis, the homeless shelter, uh, where I am assigned not people just with addiction uh, issues, but have other mental health disorders, a lot of them uh, suffering from severe trauma, depression, and anxiety. I almost always find that their disorder is a result of this childhood contaminations, things that wounded them when they were children. Remember, and I could give many, many examples, but I only share with you one, of a woman that I worked with, a young woman, who had been continuously molested by her stepfather from infancy through age six. And when she finally told somebody at school about what was going on, nobody believed her because of the standing her stepfather had in the community. And she began to doubt her own memory of what had happened. When she was 12 years old, she was taking a walk and she was pulled into a van by six gangbangers and brutally raped and then thrown out of the van two miles from her home. She walked all the way back home. She went in to the house. No one was attentive to her. In fact, most everybody was either high or drunk at the time. And so she just went to bed. She never told anybody in her family. She never got any help for the wound that she had suffered. Her story went on of abuse after abuse until finally she was left abandoned on the streets of Denver, Colorado and herself became a very dangerous person in order to survive on the streets. During my work with her, what was first and foremost necessary is for her to empty herself from all of this. And that's really what I'm suggesting is our first step in taking care of ourselves and our soul in the year to come, and that is we must empty ourselves of the junk that's in our lives. As I watched this young woman go through the painful process of going back into her memories, of reliving these memories and them becoming more adaptable, I, I could see her pain, but at the same time I could see her courage. And I'll tell you something else I saw. As I sat back and sometimes, even though I've had extensive training in this area, I didn't know what to do. I noticed the Holy Spirit working in her heart and in her life. And I saw the tears flow. And I finally saw the peace that come in her eyes as she finally unburdened herself, emptied herself 
of all this toxin that had been inside of her from the beginning of her life. And I believe that it's not just believers that can experience that work of the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit and God meets us where we're at. Romans 8, 26 says that when we don't know how to pray, when we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in sighs and groaning without words. Now, not all of us have experienced that kind of trauma and that kind of abuse, nor have those kind of wounds. But I'll tell you one thing that we all do experience. We have been contaminated with emotional programs of happiness that are false. We've been programmed either by those around us or by the culture in, at large in believing things will make us happy that will not. We become programmed with these emotional programs of happiness. And our first step in taking care of our soul is to set those programs aside. To do as Jesus did, to empty himself. Jesus emptied himself so that he could become more like us. We have to empty ourselves before we can become more like him. The second scripture, Galatians 2.20, builds on this same idea. It says that we have this programming. We've had these wounds from childhood. And it's time to set aside our false self that was developed. To, if you would, get rid of this programming. And Paul puts it very graphically. He says, we must be crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. Now, that gets confusing. Because if we think of the crucifixion of Christ, we think of an event. An event that was witnessed. An event that was attended. An event that occurred. But our crucifixion of the old self is not an event. It is a process. It is a process that takes place and it's kind of like deleting something from a computer. Have you ever deleted something from your computer and thought it was gone and then later on it pops up? Nothing is ever really deleted. It's just kind of hidden away somewhere. And I think the same thing is true about this programming, this contamination that we experience as people from childhood and through our lives. We can delete it. We can replace it. And we get a daily reprieve from it on the basis of our spiritual practices of prayer, of Bible reading, of, of meditation, and also from our relationship with other believers and other Christians. Where it's there we truly gain strength. If we are able to confess one another to one another our weaknesses, re receive support from one another, and at the same time be held accountable, then we can overcome this programming. But when we let down on those practices, those old default pages, those old wounds are just there waiting for us. 
The third thing that I would suggest we do to take care of our soul comes from Ephesians chapter 4. That is not only empty ourselves, not only put aside the false self, but discover our true selves, who we were really meant to be. And Paul tells the Ephesians about this when he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now what does this mean? To put on a new self, a true self. Are we no longer going to have any desires that will tempt us? No, we were created with desire. We were created with instinct. It's just that those instincts became contaminated. They're all given to us by God. But not directed by the Spirit. This thing of taking on the new true self is also not an event. You know, we don't see a light from heaven and then all of a sudden we're transformed into this new creation. It is a process of being transformed into the image of Christ. Returning to what we were born to be. And I believe that this is the deeper meaning of what Jesus meant when he said, you must be born again. You must go back before you received all of this false programming. You must be made new in spirit and in your soul. The process continues all of our lives. I can only speak for myself. I'm very far from being the image of Christ. But my hope in this year to come for myself and for you is that we continue to allow the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to do the work of making us our true selves, who we were created to be. When we, can, we no longer have to play God and seek our idols to make us happy, but that we can become more like a God, reflecting His true righteousness and holiness. In late September, Pastor Steve started a uh, sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you really want to take care of your soul in 2018, those sermons are wonderful. They're still online. You can still read them. The first one had to do with Jesus' blessings on the Sermon on the Mount. They're called the Beatitudes. And as I close this message, I'd like to share with you the first four, I think, that are a good path toward caring for your soul in the year to come. The first is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Admit that you're powerless to really make yourself lastingly and truly happy. You just can't do it. The second is, blessed are those who mourn, who face their losses and grieve their losses and open up to their pain. For only they can receive comfort. Only they can let go. 
The third is, blessed are the meek who stop trying to control everything and everyone in their lives, who are people of influence, not controlling people. They're real, they're authentic, and accepting. And then finally, blessed are the hungry and the thirsty. You see, unless we're truly empty, how can we be hungry? If we're not truly parched, how can we be thirsty? For it's only then that we can be filled. So rather than seeking happiness, which often has to do with something we think we ought to do for ourselves, why not seek blessing? Something that God does for us. Amen.